everyone. I'm Alan Bolio, ITR Economics. I want to answer your questions from our webinar the other day, at least the best that I can. I can't promise to answer all of them as completely as you would like. Um, I'm afraid I do not know the answer to all the questions that you asked. First one is, how do I think the shutdown and resultant impact on city cores and employment, especially in service offer sectors, will play out? Will city centers come back and over what time? Yes, I'm confident they'll come back. Over what time is certainly difficult. Not, not in 2021. I think you may begin to see some coming back in 2022 and picking up some speed in, in 23. Um, I don't think city centers are doomed to extinction. I don't think we're going to find that it is the end of that hub. Uh, but neither is it going to be quick. This is not going to be something that's gotten real easily. We have seen some psychological shift to work from home, distributed workforce, uh, more space, less cost, all the rest of that. So I, I don't believe you're going to see this to be a quick turnaround. I think we're going to see some of the uh, spaces, especially maybe some of the uh, low-rise residential, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, retail spaces will be repurposed. How much? I do not know that either. I think it's too early to tell. Now, you and I have both seen some of it. How long will it continue and how much will be converted is anybody's guess. Certainly the mortgage holders are at risk and if there's no mortgage landlords can write it out longer, uh, hanging on to the property and waiting for that eventual turn. Next question, what factors are necessary to improve the demand for one bedroom retail condos in downtown Toronto? Uh, one bedroom resale condo, excuse me. Well, it's, I think Andy Brether uh, said it very eloquently. Uh, we need the population to come back, the immigration population, filling the colleges and universities nearby, providing for a uh, buying base. Uh, that will be as important as anything else. And then we're also going to see, I think, following that, that return to a more normal environment. And that's in quotes. Uh, what exactly the new normal will be, it's hard to say, but I am one of those that think we're going to get back to almost where we were before. We're not going to see people moving back to the city that already bought in the suburbs, for instance, but we'll find more people moving into the city for the opportunity, for the excitement, for the lifestyle. Uh, so I think what's necessary, immigration, and then a slow swing back to a desire to be downtown. Long-term health of U.S. Uh, what is, I imagine that's a what is before that. What is the long-term health of U.S. Uh, economy given stimulus packages, aging demographics, and disaster relief uh, versus climate change? That's a pretty involved question. The long-term health of uh, the U.S. economy is not a stimulus package thing. That's near-term health. Near-term near health of stimulus package two would certainly help in 2021, certainly allay a lot of people's fears. And as it would allay those fears, it's certainly good for the stock market and more employment which spurs the economy. So it has this near-term beneficial impact. Uh, aging demographics have a negative impact in the long haul on the U.S. and uh, other economies as we become a very expensive part of the population to maintain, not only through our retirement plans, which are called Social Security here in, in this country, uh, in the United States, but also because of our health care benefits. Without contributing in the taxes, we become a very expensive demographic. And that's a lot of weight on Canadian economy, U.S. economy, Japan's, I mean, just pick an economy and it becomes a bit of a problem. Now, Canada is in better shape than the U.S. because you have a much stronger immigration pop population 
which helps to mitigate a large part of the problem. So in the long haul, you are in much better shape than the United States because of that immigration. It's certainly good news for you as you look to the future. Uh, natural disaster, I'm gonna take that to mean the, the disaster relief that went on, the, the massive amounts of liquidity, everything that went in has a near-term benefit, but also has a long-term consequence. The severe run-up in US uh, federal debt has a negative consequence and that it must be taken care of sometimes. And it can be taken care of in different ways, but historically there's no way that is beneficial to the economy. It becomes a, an option of what do you think will be least painful? In the end, we think it is very much contributory to our forecast for 2030 Great Depression. Climate change is on President Biden's agenda. As he uh, matches uh, Prime Minister Trudeau in his uh, desire to improve the climate in the future for the planet. Uh, that will change things. That will provide for some shifts in opportunities, some shifts in potential, some shifts in government spending in both countries. It will <coughs> likely provide for some increased costs, both in terms of electricity generation and, and in other parts of our daily lives, which we will no doubt adjust to. And, uh, some portion of the population will be fine with that, especially if the higher income folks are paying for it. Um, I don't think you're gonna find that it's a long-term pain for the economies of either country in general, but it's gonna be certainly painful for people in the fossil fuel industry. Certainly painful for people who make the uh, parts for an internal combustion engine of all kinds. So there should be a slow transition of industry to that. President-elect Biden has said that he wants the U.S. to be carbon-free in terms of electricity generation by 2035. Uh, 15 years from now, really? I don't see how that's going to happen. That quick a transition could certainly be uh, more harmful to some uh, workers, some businesses, to tax flow. We'll see how all that plays out. Uh, both countries derive a lot of their energy from fossil fuels, and to see that larger percentage shifted would be very difficult indeed. Back in 2019, I had indicated, forecasted a potential Great Depression in 2030. Is that still on track or will that come sooner? Uh, no, we're still on track for 2030. The, this does not alter the timeline because of the number of factors that are involved. Uh, it makes it more likely, but doesn't change the timeline. Also based on your numbers, is it safe to assume a V-shaped recovery? Um, well, we're, we are in a V-shaped recovery and it'll be more V-shaped than after 2009. 2009 was uh, certainly more gradual recovery, which would be pretty normal. It was a very significant downturn, so it was steeper than some, but all in all, it was not a, a sharp V. And we're not gonna, we saw this already. We're not gonna continue to see that. We're gonna see that it becomes a, a tulip-shaped recovery, and that, uh, like a tulip glass, and we're gonna just see it begin to bend and continue to move up. So that will be back to record high levels in both countries in a couple of years, uh, which is pretty fast when you think about all that has gone on and all the changes and in the industries that are still hurting. Is it V-shaped? It has been, it won't continue to be quite as V-shaped, but certainly be better than 2010 and 11 and 12. Uh, do I see certain percentage of commercial office space in the urban centers being converted to other uses, residential, retail? Yes, I cannot tell you what that percentage is, but certainly I see that there'll be some conversion uh, it seems like the reasonable thing to do. Um, are there certain states that I would recommend for residential investment? The usual, 
Uh, where the population will be moving to uh, is always a good place. If you want to think of retirement for yourself, Southeast United States or Arizona are always popular. I'd stay out of California. Uh, you want to look for where there's good population movement. And that means most states, except for Illinois and Louisiana and West Virginia and Vermont, should be able to meet your goal of investment property if that's what you want to do. Uh, multifamily will be going down in price. It is, has gone down in price. And the price index on apartments multifamily will continue to go down, we believe, this year which means there's a great buying opportunity here in the U.S. You want to take advantage of it. That price decline is obviously driven by vacancy rates. Those vacancy rates will begin to right themselves and will also begin to go down in 2022. And as that happens, uh, I think you're going to find that it's good news for you if you're looking for an investment. Uh, what impact will reopening our borders have on the economy? It's a positive impact. That flow of people, tourism and activity and spending uh, will be good for uh, Canadian economy. Do I think that house prices will increase in 2021 or the market will stay the same as now? I think you're gonna find home prices, and I use home instead of house, uh, moving up in 2021, yes. I think that there will be a, a building of demand as we go through the year. I think the second half of 21 will certainly uh, be enough to make this finish on a positive note. And as we looked at in, in the uh, webinar, prices were still moving up, much milder pace, but still moving up. So. Good news, I think you're gonna find them continue to move up. Uh, I mentioned that, it, uh, Alan, you mentioned it's a good time to stay invested in the stock market, but is it a good time to get in and purchase equities? Is there a sector that I prefer? Uh, boy, too bad we didn't answer this yesterday, huh? But for the stock market reached record high levels again. Uh, news of the vaccines and the transition is underway from uh, President Trump to President-elect Biden, and everybody's kind of rejoicing over that. Uh, but to answer your question, yes, I would uh, suggest that it is a good time to do that. Having said that, there's always danger, so please don't take that as a guarantee that it's not subject to our 94.7% forecast accuracy rating. I would invite you, again, if you have not, to ask me about how you can learn more about our Optimizer B. When you ask what sectors to invest in, that really is it, a it-depends question. Uh, you cannot just answer in a blank sense because I don't know your risks, your tolerances, your age, your current portfolio. I would invite you to find out, and there are ways that I can help you with that uh, by connecting you with my uh, colleague who does that uh, with and for and uh, arm in arm with ITR in, in many ways, but uh, I cannot uh, give you that in a, a broad statement like that. Send me an email, alan at itreconomics.com. Okay. Uh, if I reflect back to 2009, rather difficult times we experienced, are, are you more excited about the numbers we're seeing today than as we came out of the Great Recession? Uh, on point question, yes, very much so. Uh, this is me excited. Economists don't often get excited. This is me. And uh, yes, very much so. You've got a good future ahead of you. We had to rebuild that motor that I was talking about, that engine, uh, back after 2009. There's no rebuilding going on here. The engine's ready to go. It has liquidity, it has power, it has demand, it has everything that it needs. So I'm much more excited now than I was back in 2010. Do you track immigration and can you comment on any trends? Uh, we don't track immigration every day. Uh, there is certainly, uh, uh, well, 
a lot of good. Now, that always gets me in trouble, especially in the United States. There's a lot of good that comes from immigration besides labor. As you well know, in this industry that we serve, uh, it's demand. And I just read an interesting paper from Kellogg Institute that, uh, that was saying, improving it rather well, I think, that immigration uh, does more than provide labor and, and some demand. It's actually a job creator. It's an economy generator. And so I think that it is good. Are we seeing some nice things come from it in Canada? Yes. Are we going to see some things, nice things come from it in the U.S.? I hope so. We're rather parsimonious with our visas in this country. And I think if we can open that spigot up a little wider, it would certainly help the growth rate. Um, with more people moving to the suburbs and working from home, our downtown condo market is feeling the effects. Rents have dropped drastically. And investors are panicking about having to carry their mortgages and even worse, qualify for a mortgage. What are your thoughts on a turnaround? I think that's going to be a slow turnaround, but there will be. And the reason I say that is because market forces work. All right, as vacancies go up, rents have to go down. And a distressed landlord mortgage holder that wants to hold on to the property is going to lower their, their rents in order to draw people in in order to make the mortgage. And so as rents are lowered, or prices are, are, are lowered. It's, it doesn't have to be just a uh, rental. We could be talking about automobiles. We could be talking about you know, space vehicles. Whatever happens to be, if there's a lack of demand, price goes down. So that lack of demand pulling price down, in this case of rentals, means that people will come in and fill it. Vacancy rates go up, which means the rents start going up, which means people that can hang on are made whole again. Uh, and they may not have the cash flow uh, to the level that they wish they had, but they will have uh, cash flow and things will turn around. Now, if somebody bought it at a peak and they cannot hold on to it because the rental rates are lower or because of the vacancy rate, that happens in, in an economic downturn, even a natural disaster like this, maybe even more in a natural disaster because we couldn't see it coming. And with that in mind, there's nothing you can do except have a distressed sale, take the loss. And I don't know Canadian taxes nearly well enough to let you know whether that's a benefit to you or not. But the reality is, uh, for some folks, there is no cure except for the sale and hoping for the best. Um, will there be increased protectionism globally, and how will this affect global growth projections in the medium and long term? Yeah, we think there will be increased protectionism globally. I think we see some of it now. And, and will you expect it to continue on as we go forward? How will it uh, impact global growth? Well, as a whole, the economy will continue to grow around the world. Uh, we'll see different economies continue to grow. Others won't maybe not grow as much as more nationalism and protectionism uh, takes hold. So a exporting nation like Vietnam may not get the same growth that is seen in recently, recent years if U.S. companies, as an example, that moved production to Vietnam decide to move it back home. Uh, President-elect Biden is offering a tax incentive for them to do exactly that. So it will hurt some, it will help others, but the net is the global economy continues to grow for the medium and the long term. How does Brexit play into your European projection? Well, it's, it's, it plays in in that we think the economy will just continue to grow in Europe because the trading between the UK and the EU will just continue. It won't be as smooth as it was, but it will continue. We won't have the same population movement into the United Kingdom which may mean a slight increase in labor availability in uh, the EU. Either way, 
this is more political and financial than it is bottom line business economics. And I think we're going to find that uh, our forecast, which calls for European growth to be less than Canadian growth, milder rate of rise, taking much longer to get to the next peak, uh, uh, you know, fix the whole Brexit scenario where there's some uncertainty. There's been inventory buildup and the inventories must be bled off. And that was before, uh, before COVID. And now with COVID, those inventories will take longer to bleed off, which leads to the slower growth. All that's packed into our forecast of slower growth in, in Europe, slower than what we see here in the United States. Uh, thoughts on interest rates moving forward? Um, are fixed or variable rates encouraged at the moment? Well, uh, central banks, yours and the, and the Federal Reserve Board, have said interest rates are going to stay flat for a while. And because interest rates are going to stay flat, uh, it means it's, it's stimulative to the economy. It means great opportunity to buy things. Hear me on that, please. Great opportunity to buy things. Whether you want a variable or fixed rate will depend on who you are. If you're buying this piece of property for a short-term short investment, excuse me, or whatever you're buying for a short-term hold uh, and variable. But if you're going to buy this piece of property to, to hold for years to come, you'll be bragging about your fixed rate. A fixed rate under 3%, that's less than half the mean. And so as we begin to revert back to the mean in a couple of years, towards the mean, and, and the fixed rates go up, holding a, a longer-term fixed rate will look uh, like a brilliant decision. So it depends on your strategy and your life plan as you go forward. All right. Now, when we look at the uh, gold prices, the question on gold price, prices, are we going to see a surge in gold prices beginning uh, next year? RBC Bank is predicting that the price will go up significantly. What, you, what uh, do you think will be? Or something like that. Well, the reality is we don't forecast gold prices. I don't want to forecast gold prices. And I have no reason to contradict the RBC, neither do I have any reason to affirm the RBC. I don't know why they would go up beginning next year. I'm not sure what the demand pull on that would be. It's not always driven by fear. It's not always driven by inflation. It's not always driven by uncertainty. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not sure what trigger they think will, will be driving that. They may have a model that works for them. We've not been able to successfully forecast gold prices, at least not to the extent that I want to pass that uh, along to you. Any more than I can forecast, forecast Bitcoin uh, values. I'm not sure that uh, they can be. Some things I think are inherently not subject to forecast. Uh, given the urban exodus, softening condo prices, low interest rates, uh, immigration numbers uh, to increase, is it better to buy a resale or pre-construction condo? Uh, frankly, I have no idea. That's an Andy Brether question, uh, if you want some professional help on that. Because too much depends on where, what, and goals, and all the rest of that, and what the history has shown. Uh, I have no idea. Sorry about that. Where in the GTA will be the best area for investing purposes? Uh, ask Andy. I, I really don't have any idea uh, where in the GTA. That's uh, too micro for this macroeconomist. Uh, you mentioned at the onset that with technology and people working from home, you can hire people from all over the world. That's true. Given many Canadians move to the U.S. for employment, do you feel more Canadians will remain here and contribute to housing? I think you'll find uh, some more, whether it'll be more enough to make a difference in the uh, purchasing trends, to 
make a difference in the pricing trends, to make a difference that you would notice, um, I would not feel real comfortable conjecturing on because I have no idea how big the numbers are. My sense is that's not that big a number that uh, will shift from not moving to the U.S. because often there are other things that involve besides just the job. And so I, I cannot uh, even begin to guess as to the strength of that number other than intuitively I would say you'll see some, but not an earth-shaking amount. And certainly not enough to have you feel a great uh, change in the environment. Uh, can, you, can I discuss uh, the Great Reset coming out of the World Economic Forum? Uh, I can, uh, real briefly, it's uh, very ideological and I read it and uh, as I went through it, I thought, well, this is a lot of modern thinking and not even all that modern, even some decades old thinking kind of repurposed around COVID saying now's our opportunity to make the world a better place, to try to create a nirvana, to uh, repackage capitalism was part of the phraseology. And uh, that may be possible. That's kind of been happening anyways with capitalism that it looks more towards uh, social conscience and social responsibilities. Uh, if it's aimed at creating uh, reduction in the inequalities between high income and low income, uh, we shall see. That's very difficult because you can take rank communism and there are definitely the haves that keep getting richer and the have-nots that do not. You can take any period of socialism that you see and the haves keep getting richer while the others do not. So to think that we're going to create this environment where essentially we're going to make everyone whole and we're going to redistribute wealth and we're going to uh, accomplish the social goal of making everyone feel valued and have access to the global economy and all the rest of that, and at the same time produce equality, um, strikes me as quite a reach, might be the best way to put it. I'm not saying they're not good goals, uh, but man, uh, that's a goal. I don't think I'll live long enough to see that one come about. Last question, uh, does Canadian debt noted that I noted only include federal debt? The answer is yes. Uh, same as ours uh, for the U.S. Uh, that I talk about only includes federal debt. It does not include state debt. Uh, we only look at the central governments there. And I know what you might be thinking. Well, if you add in the provinces, it's a whole lot more. Guess what? You add in state debt, and it's a whole lot more. I was just trying to compare apples to apples. And maybe sometime what I'll do is I'll compare uh, provincial debt to uh, state debt. We, uh, and then we can try to do a per capita basis for some comparison. That would probably be fun. Uh, but to answer your question, yes, it was just federal debt. All right. As uh, what has changed since the last time you and I talked is that the situation as far as COVID goes here in the United States has been getting worse with the number of cases. Some states have taken some steps backward. A, a couple have closed, but uh, New Mexico doesn't count. Uh, we find more stay-at-home recommendations, a couple stay-at-home orders for two to three weeks, a pause, if you will. And as we head into the holiday season, that could be uh, damaging to retailers, certainly, to the earlier question about what happens to retailers. But online, trucking, delivery, all kinds of people, warehousing, everybody in the supply chain otherwise involved is going to have a good season. People are out there with money. The number of deaths uh, in Canada coming down. I just checked that right before we went on the air with this. So I think you're going to find that uh, while this is an extremely uh, difficult time, nail-biting because of the numbers, that so far the three vaccines that are rushing to the forefront are gonna provide some hope, some change, and for a better 2021. 
I know hope is not a strategy, but I'm a firm believer that all strategy begins with hope. And my hope is that we will see some rational behavior uh, come about, economies open up as these vaccines get out to millions upon millions upon millions globally, including the United States and Canada. I wish you all the best. I hope I get to talk to you next year. Be well. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. Talk to you soon.